Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law podcast series. I'm Dylan Kennett, Corporate Associate here at DLA Piper, and today I'll be welcoming Hussein Kakavand, founder of Luther Systems, and Alex Wood, editor and founder of The Memo. We're going to be discussing all things blockchain and the benefits it's set to deliver across multiple industries. At DLA Piper, I'm a venture capital associate uh, focusing on most matters technology, media, and sport. Uh, and one of the biggest areas of growth we've been seeing amongst our practice is in the blockchain sphere. Um, so, hi to Hussein and hi to Alex. Uh, I thought it'd be quite useful to have you introduce yourself. So, Hussein, if you wouldn't mind saying a few words about you and what Luther does. Uh, thank you, Dylan. Um, it's great to be here and thank you for, uh, for inviting us. Uh, so, I'm Hussein. I'm the, uh, the CEO of Luther Systems. So, Hussein, would you mind just giving us a bit of background on Luther Systems? Um, sure. Uh, so, Luther Systems is a uh, blockchain infrastructure company where we uh, focus on uh, the, the efficiency of business processes across various enterprises. Um, we are um, agnostic towards what specific um, industry we focus on. And, 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 and the idea being that many processes across many industries have a lot of fundamental overlap while having um, different use cases. So that's what primarily we focus on. Okay, interesting. Thanks, thanks very much. I'm sure we'll delve deeper into what Luther's been up to in, in due course. Alex, would you mind giving a brief intro on yourself and, and what you're doing over at The Memo? Hi, my name's Alex Woods. I'm the founder and editor of the online magazine, The Memo. Um, if you haven't heard of us before, um, we have the mission to make the future more human, which is a very grand way of saying we cover business and we look at the future and how technology impacts it. Um, I'm a career journalist. I've worked at places like the BBC and Bloomberg, and the memo is actually my own startup as well. So I'm in a bit of a unique place of covering startups and business and technology, but also having a business of my own as well. Fantastic. Hussein, given your background, how did you end up in the UK? I can tell you're an American. Uh, I believe you've said before you're from Texas, the grand old state. Um, and, and how did you get focused on blockchain specifically? What was kind of your genesis from, say, California over to, to the UK? Um, sure. So I was, um, so I did my PhD at Stanford and, uh, following the completion of that, um, I got involved in a, uh, quantitative hedge fund, which, uh, ultimately brought me to London. Uh, over time I got in, I got more and more interested in entrepreneurship. I'm from Stanford. It's kind of a given I have to. It's in the blood. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so um, I got involved with uh, what was at the time a startup funding circle, which is now a super successful uh, major uh, company now, we can call it, in peer-to-peer in, uh, -peer, uh, lending. Yeah, they're definitely one of the darlings of the, the UK tech Absolutely. industry. Yeah, fantastic. As, as, as they should be. It's a phenomenal company. It has amazing management and uh, very clear in their mission and how they're accomplishing it. Uh, I myself learned a huge deal from, uh, from Funding Circle in terms of how to build a financial company, build a startup, how to grow a startup. When I joined, it was about 30 people. When I left, it was over 600 oh, wow. in four countries. So I have definitely seen the, an, an extraordinary growth cycle of a, um, of a financial technology company. And then how did you end up coming up with the idea for Luther? So um, I, at, at, at Funding Circle, I observed uh, how you build systems and processes that um, essentially 
undertake a lot of processes for um, financial transactions, if you will, but it's, 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 it's broader than that. Basically an end-to-end -end processing of transactions and uh, a sequence of events that need to happen for a certain process to complete. Based on that, um, I was, and, and I was involved in building many of these from scratch. Uh, and through this, I saw what the, what the, what the uh, benefits are, and at the same time, what the challenges are in building these things. Now, um, blockchain technology, when it first came out, it was purely Bitcoin, but the, the, I, which, which, is, which is a great invention, by the way. Uh, I know that sometimes Bitcoin gets a negative reputation, especially yep. in enterprise, which is undeserved because blockchain, Bitcoin has a very strong technological underpinning. Um, you, that got me very interested, mm -hmm. and I started exploring it. I uh, met my co-founder, who was an expert in uh, enterprise systems, and together we started exploring ideas, and uh, we came up with Luther. Fair enough. And, and I guess part of the, the point of these uh, podcasts that we do here at DLA is to assist our listeners with what actually is the technology we're discussing or the, the avant-garde, cutting-edge uh, work that people are doing. So for the man on the street, what is blockchain? Very succinct question for you, and if you wouldn't mind explaining uh, what it is, and, and then we can get into possible use cases. Certainly. So um, my, my, my short answer to that would be, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, so to me, it's very difficult to answer the question of what blockchain is. It's more what blockchain does. Because I would, I would draw an analogy to describing a database. It's very difficult to say what a database is. It's much easier to say what it does. So um, I wanted to start with, to me, the, the, the idea of blockchain isn't new. So peer-to-peer -peer technology in the form of um, communication, uh, file sharing, music sharing, even the internet, is based on peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh, networks, which have been around for a while, and uh, blockchain is yet another manifestation of it. So while the details are new, the core isn't. Mm -hmm. um, so I often uh, use, the, use the case of um, you and I have a transaction. Uh, I pay you 500 pounds and you give me your iPhone. Mm -hmm. Now, in the olden days, I would write in my database or my ledger 500 and iPhone and so would you. Mm -hmm. The issue is I won't see your database and you won't see mine. Mm -hmm. So it could be that I maliciously or by mistake write 5,000 and iPhone. Now, at some point, we have to reconcile. That's a very lengthy process. Blockchain sort of turns it around. It says, look, let's agree on the details. Let's both approve those details. And then each of us keeps a copy of that database. Mm -hmm. So while we both are keeping copies, uh, we've already reconciled. Mm -hmm. So that's a simple way of explaining data blockchain from a database point of view. Okay. Now, there are many, many different other ways of thinking about this, which we'll explore as we uh, And that's on. the distributed in the distributed ledger technology that we hear so often. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. So Alex, uh, probably time to bring you in here. With your purview from being at the memo, what are you, what are you seeing in the marketplace? Uh, use cases for blockchain, what are people getting excited about? So running a publication, I get to see it, I guess, from two different perspectives. I, I write about the blockchain, as do many of my writers, but also we get to see how people respond to stories about the blockchain as well. 
And when we started the memo about three years ago, um, one of the first things we did is we decided to make a video explaining the blockchain. And um, I'm, I'm pleased to say that it's by no means as good as the explanation I've heard from Hussein, and that's helped me a lot, um, because that's an interesting point to actually raise that um, journalists, I'm speaking for my colleagues across the industry, are not very good about reporting about the blockchain. Um, <laughs> Nor are lawyers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's an absolute nightmare because it comes in so many different forms, and obviously we've got the Bitcoin question as well. And so I think sometimes it's a case of people writing about something they're not comfortable about, and then also readers not being comfortable, and there's a lot of tension. But the, the video that we produced um, really surprised us. Um, so we did it as a bit of fun. Um, we decided to get together a group of our team, and we decided to explain it using the most English method possible, a bunch of butlers wearing white gloves, um, passing around bits of cake and chopping it up, and the idea being that the crumbs of cake were a way of tracing it back and things like that. <laughs> very, very silly video, but it actually went completely nuts and viral and I think it's still the number two worldwide on, on YouTube as well. I remember it, when it came out yeah. it definitely helped me at the time for yeah. sure. And I, and I think it's it's interesting because it like, to me clearly shows that there's a demand in the market people want to understand what's going on and I think one of my first memories of kind of aha moments if you like was when I spoke with RBS uh, a couple of years ago and they told me that they had actually started working with the blockchain, but it was for their loyalty point system. And kind of the second that you start seeing financial institutions dipping their toe in, but actually doing it in a safe way, that for me started to um, really make it make sense. Um, but even today, I mean, we wrote a story about Bitcoin and um, KFC. And um, KFC, uh, the famous chicken shop, uh, have decided to launch a Bitcoin bucket. Now, I should say they have stunt after stunt and they always have lots of silly tech gimmicks, but this one was brilliant because it's the idea that you can pay for a bucket of chicken using Bitcoin. As one downside, it will take eight minutes for the transaction to complete, which um, I think is a problem if you're looking forward to a bucket of chicken, you might end up with a very cold <laughs> bucket. Yeah, exactly, or a double down. I, uh, <laughs> that was uh, one I never got to eat. <laughs> um, so Hussein, I, I was reading, which is dangerous sometimes, um, that uh, distributed ledger technology could help financial services uh, lower the costs of, say, cross-border payments, securities trading, compliance by about 15 to 20 billion a year by 2022. Uh, that was according to Santander. I guess with Luther, what are the specific use cases that you're focusing on, um, whether that's in FS, uh, insurance, et cetera, um, and, and what's been your experience of uptake from these industries so far? Um, certainly. So there is a huge amount of interest. Now, we'll get into the details of the practicalities of going from interest and prototypes to full-scale productions. But um, so Luther Systems is prime. While Luther is uh, industry agnostic, it is uh, more focused on certain industries than others uh, that we feel and think there is a great potential for uh, for uptake. And hopefully, easy wins. Hopefully, easy wins. Yes. Um, hopefully, easy scalable wins, mm -hmm. which which is actually quite important because it is very easy to. Uh, get sidetracked with a number of different projects that are not potentially uh, scalable. Mm -hmm. So um, we definitely see insurance as a uh, as a big market for that. Now um, there there's a lot of detail to what we mean by insurance. Yep. But uh, insurance is certainly one. Healthcare is certainly one. Okay. And also government. Okay. Um, we have recently been talking about uh, transportation systems where a network of uh, passengers which want to 
enter an ecosystem and exit the eco ecosystem of, say, uh, a touch point uh, to get into train stations, for example. Okay. That could be uh, an interesting use case. But those are the general uh, industries that we see. Now, certainly financial services has shown an enormous amount of interest, yes. which is an area that we are less focused on. Mm -hmm. But the, um, the financial services industry has certainly uh, paid a lot of attention and investment Into in this blockchain. area. And, and what specific aspects of, uh, say, insurance and, and government, for that matter, are you focusing on particularly? So I can't go too far into the details, but um, for us, um, so a, a mega insurance company would certainly have a claims process, which uh, has a lot to do with how you essentially absorb a claim to the moment where you f complete the payment. Now, the details of that are um, uh, specific to each insurance company. Okay. But I would say that 80% of that process is repeated across across insurance companies mm -hmm. because you, you can imagine there, there are several touch points across this process. Now, a specific database might be different or a specific user might be different or this insurance company has a slightly different exception handling process and so on. But the general theme is- Runs uh, through the sector. Process. So they don't, you're saying they don't necessarily have an equivalent of say the SWIFT system uh, with, with banking. So that's still somewhat disaggregated amongst insurance groups? Exactly. Okay. Now, now to different, now, when we take a simplistic view of what claims means, and uh, by all means, we have been actually quite surprised when you go inside how much detail there is to it. Mm -hmm. There definitely are industry-wide um, connection groups, which uh, you could imagine as a situation where uh, there'll be a like a consortium of various insurance companies mm -hmm. that are involved in uh, a certain type of dealing. Mm -hmm. Now, outside of claims, for example, the uh, the insurance trading market is has formed a consortium and it's uh, moving forward. But for us, which are more focused on process-driven systems, uh, there definitely is a scope of one insurance company to take this end-to-end -end inside the company. So you're forward. trying to deal with the back-end processes in the first instance that maybe um, not as efficient as they could be and putting it on some type of blockchain ledger, which would be, I guess that's when we get to the distinction of um, permissioned and permissionless blockchains, is that correct? Precisely, yes. And, and, and so uh, in general, as, uh, as um, Alex was pointing out, the, the notion of having a, a public and a private blockchain are actually vastly different use cases. Okay. And it can go in very different directions. So while we use the umbrella term blockchain, uh, it really is important to dis distinguish the various um, areas that this covers from uh, cryptocurrencies, to private blockchains, to ICOs, to uh, public blockchains that are used for applications that are not currency-based. Understood, understood. So that, that's, I guess, the short-term wins that Luther is looking for. Where do you see, and this is somewhat being a soothsayer, where do you see the medium to long-term value creation for blockchain itself? Certainly, so, so beyond the applications we talked about, it is important to realize that one, this is an infrastructure technology, which means that the notion of asking, uh, I've, I've heard the expression killer app for blockchain, and in my head, this is just not the best question to ask, because it's the equivalent of asking, so what is the killer app for Oracle? What is the killer app for uh, Salesforce? 
it's, it's, there is no killer app. This is an infrastructure technology, just like databases, just like a CRM system. It can be modified to fit each industry. So you can imagine Oracle has like a technology that's 80% their core system. Now, how they integrate exactly into your systems mm -hmm. is the 20% of the integration piece because your systems are unique to you. Yep. But their core technology doesn't change, and it's not like database for healthcare, database for insurance, it's just database. Your use case is what your use case is. Mm -hmm. um, I did want to add to this, to your question, of um, we just see this as day one. Once blockchain in its various forms becomes widespread, there's so many other applications that we can't even foresee. Um, an analogy I can draw is basically the early days of the internet. People were asking, so what? So you connected a bunch of computers to each other. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with this? Yeah. Um, and then a few years later, Google comes out, and it just basically re literally organizes the world's information. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're at day one. Okay, good to know. Having said all this, we're not oblivious to the risks of the technology. So um, there have been technology in the, in technologies in the past where uh, the technology just wasn't the right timing. Uh, it didn't get enough initial traction to, for it to scale. So these are actually challenges uh, alongside regulatory challenges mm -hmm. that could come up. Mm -hmm. um, and it is important to sort of keep both uh, in mind. And I guess as lawyers here, we're always interested in regulation. I guess, uh, is there any? Are you, are you specifically dealing with any specific regulations coming from the FCA, perhaps? Or is it a wider situation of you having specific regulations to the industry verticals that you're working in? Um, so that's a great question. So we are less uh, involved in the... Uh, financial services, per se, investment banks, commercial banks, and so on. Maybe Alex could uh, could speak to that. Uh, so those regulations might touch us less than uh, other companies might. Um, I would say that, for example, the insurance uh, industry is heavily regulated. But because we're an infrastructure technology, we tend to operate inside an insurance company. And even if it's across a number of ones, it's inside each of them. Mm -hmm. So many of these regulations are already baked in to the systems that we've built. Essentially, uh, because we're inside the system, they're already compliant. So anything we can do for that insurance company is already compliant by the insurance company. Sure. Uh, now, having said this, we do handle personal information and uh, information that could be sensitive to various regulations, and we are obviously compliant with um, GDPR and all that example. good stuff, yes. So to all our listeners out there, make sure you consult a lawyer about GDPR uh, for 2018. It's going to be uh, the important regulation of the year. So Alex, I guess uh, my next question to you is, uh, I've noticed that there's been a substantial amount of money uh, invested into blockchain companies since the creation of the tech. I think I was reading it's somewhere in the region of a billion since 2009, um, and there's been about a 60% increase in the last year. Do you think investor appetite is going to wane? Where's the money flowing exactly? Um, what do you see for, for investors? Uh, I think investor appetite is definitely in line with the amount of hype that's going on at the moment. And um, 
I have to say, being based in a startup accelerator ourselves, we're, we're based in, in Wiria in London. I, I get to see different cohorts of startups coming and going and obviously see the, where the money's going. Now, that's very early stage. And one thing I'd say that I've definitely noticed over the last couple of years is this idea that many startups and many businesses are literally inserting the word blockchain into every single pitch. And somehow everyone seems to be doing blockchain, but not necessarily it's clear how or, or why. Um, yeah, I saw that uh, the Long Island uh, company put blockchain into its in its company name and its shares spiked. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. And, and I think to the point you were, you were making earlier, Hussein, about um, this, this kind of confusion around words like um, ICO or ICOs, as well as Bitcoin and blockchain, all these different aspects. I think it's... Um, it can sometimes fall into a bit of a negative territory. I mean, even for my own company, we raised around just over a year ago. And I kid you not, many people that I was pitching to said, well, have you thought about AI? Or have you thought about putting the blockchain into your magazine? Said, Respectfully, <laughs> I'm not really sure how we're going to do that and, and how you, you, and they were literally saying to me, you could you know, increase your valuation by a couple of million um, US dollars. And it's, it, it's nuts. And I think, um, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's a bad thing for the technology because I am so, bullish about the blockchain. I think it is a fantastic and awesome thing that we, we all need to be paying attention to. And I think fundamentally, it just comes down to the general cycle of things and things just tend to get a bit overheated. So Hussein, do you th talking about the hype cycle, do you think it's a help or has it been a hindrance to your company? So I would say both. Um, so the interesting thing we're finding is that, so look, any new technology is going to have a hype cycle. There'll be, there'll be overexcitement, and at some point, people are going to say, well, we set the bar at 100. This is delivered 20, so this doesn't work. And over time, this is going to basically reach an equilibrium around 50, and it will be useful for certain things and not useful for other things. Um, I would say in terms of uh, it's definitely helped us a lot in getting in the door yeah. of many multinational corporations that I would never dream about talking to any of them, right? Uh, because I can't get in. Uh, <laughs> but because there's blockchain and because there's belief that we can deliver, uh, we get in. Now, this is the positive side of the hype. The negative side of the hype is once you're in the door, then all the questions come up of, so as, as Alex was saying, we see two extremes. Uh, on one side, people who claim to be ex experts in blockchain who talk about um, these grand claims, which are not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. uh, look, this is not going to cure cancer. It's not going to connect the sun and the moon. It's not the future of the internet infrastructure. No? It's not. <laughs> this, on the other side, it's not snake oil. It, it, it's a new technology. It has very concrete, specific use cases in the various areas that it's active in. And just like any other technology, it has benefits, it has drawbacks. So it is quite important to sort of view this with a clear eye and a sober view. Sure. But just because it doesn't, it's not going to deliver these lofty goals that some people um, claim that it would, it doesn't mean that we just overlook it. It has certain uh, strong benefits for specific use cases that over time it'll deliver. And you say there's a lot of large companies with big appetites to integrate this into their businesses. Do you think that is necessarily the only way of doing so, that it's going to be the large companies driving this change, or are we gonna have uh, small rugged startups doing this and eating everyone else's lunch? Or is it a partnership between the large and the small, dealing with sometimes people refer to it as the innovation gap in that 
large corporates can't necessarily innovate as quickly as possible and therefore they partner with smaller startups and maybe acquire them or invest in them or just have exclusive licensing to their to their technology where, where do you think we sit with all of this so um, I'm gonna answer that in two parts one of them is the collaboration between large and small companies and the other one is as potential clients uh, we think that blockchain technology needs a certain level of scale of the host corporation for this to be productive. So I've heard many times that why don't you start with talking to smaller startups. The issue is that a smaller startup that's doing something else, for example, peer-to-peer -peer technology on uh, property investment or loans and so on and so forth, this might not be as beneficial for them because they just don't, do not have that scale for this to be applicable to them and beneficial for them. So that's one side. Now in terms of, which means that uh, this, if this is to grow in a, in a scalable, meaningful way, it needs larger or potentially medium-sized corporations to um, pick up the mantle of leading this. Now on that, the experience that we have had is that large corporations have enormous appetite for this. They have, for a while now, woken to the notion that if they don't necessarily um, become agile in their innovation uptake, they might actually be disrupted outside. Uh, so there is a lot of interest and appetite in taking this up. Uh, the issue is, because of their size and the structure of how decisions are made, they might not necessarily uh, think this through end to end. So, for example, we, we get interest in come in and let's build a prototype. And that's all well and good and it's great. It's, it's, we get a lot of interest from, from the innovation teams and the business units and so on. The problem that we sometimes run into, and there are various degrees of this, is they haven't necessarily thought through to the very end of the process. So you do this prototype, uh, but then you get to the end of it and then they haven't thought through, okay, what now? Right? So we strongly recommend and sort of an agile type approach to an agile in the sense of product management type approach to this end-to-end -end process where you have a you have a full-scale plan for the big picture but then you go through phases you do phase one tweak it adjust it if it works you go to phase two mm -hmm. if it doesn't work you drop it okay that basically allows you to experiment with new technologies quickly but at the same time have a view of if this does work, what do we do next? Yeah, you're being iterative and any smart business should be doing that rather than exactly. yeah, going go But now. the important part is if, the phase, if phase one works, we should know what phase two is. Otherwise, so a small startup doesn't have enormous resources, so it can't wait around for a large number of months uh, while a corporation makes a decision. And at the same time, the corporation itself is potentially giving up its competitive advantage because it's just going through its normal cycle of uh, decision making. Okay, that's interesting. Having said, sorry, having said all this, we have benefited a lot from working with large corporations and there definitely is uh, a lot of interest. It's just the practicalities of the process that need to be sorted out. And <clears throat> Alex, I guess touching back on hype cycle, uh, what's, what, I'm sure there's some outrageous things you've seen uh, yeah. with blockchain. Like, 
Give, give me a couple examples of things you've found interesting. I think the one that really sticks with me just um, happened just a, a week ago. Um, so essentially, it's, it's, a, it's a new app. Um, interestingly, it's not the first time we've seen apps that do this, but of course, this one uses the blockchain. Um, and it essentially is a consent app for um, when you hook up. So um, when, if you happen to meet someone and you decide that you're going to take this home, um, you can record a video consent with, with the person. I think it's aimed primarily towards women. So you, you get the woman to, uh, to agree in a video clip. And then uh, both of you get to also, and this is for me very Silicon Valley, that you also get to note out your preferences of exactly what you would like to happen and the boundaries and parameters of, of this transaction, if you like. And then it is recorded in the blockchain and, and shared for later. And I think... Um, it definitely raised some eyebrows in the newsroom for us. And I think it's, uh, to be honest, when we looked into it more, it's a company that does blockchain stuff and they just did this as a side project. I doubt it's really going to happen, but um, it comes back to what I think I've been saying throughout this podcast is just this hype cycle and these, these issues. I think Larry David was definitely uh, gazing into the crystal ball. <laughs> I think that was on this season's uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. So maybe that's where it's coming from. I mean, uh, how does that make you feel as someone who's involved in a blockchain company that people are doing these kind of things? So... On the serious side, I, I actually am quite supportive, not necessarily of this app. This app will run its course. Uh, but in general, experimentations of this sort are actually quite a good thing. Because so um, when the internet first came out, there was a lot of debate as, you know, this is just for porn sites. But it, it turns out that while they were leading this process, it actually gave rise to many other applications that people thought through. And, oh, this can actually work. And here's how it works. Well, let's you know replace the porn details with other yeah. uh, applications, and it can actually uh, take off. So I, I, I definitely am quite supportive and in favor of um, experimentation with the various um, type of applications that could come up with this. Yeah. And I'd note that Luther is sector agnostic, so you heard it here first. <laughs> um, so Hussein, I guess back to you, uh, you've just finished your funding round. Um, would you mind just discussing how you found being a startup in the UK, raising money, um, what your experiences were with that and uh, how it's going so far? So um, yeah, so, so we got a uh, great deal of uh, support from very high profile um, angels and uh, executives, which we have had a very good experience with. Now, um, they've been very generous to us. They've been very responsive. They've been quite fast. Uh, I would say that that's ne not necessarily the experience of everyone that I've talked to. Uh, so in the UK, I would generally point out that the one thing that, so um, an example of an investor that I would like to use for, 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 for what I'm about to say is, for example, Neil Reimer at Index Ventures. So I've had conversations with him in the past, not necessarily in the context of this round, uh, where uh, the discussion primarily has been, like he spends 90% of the time of how does this work? What does it do? What else can it do? Uh, what can go wrong? Tell me about the technology. Tell me about details. Tell me about the application. Getting into the minutiae. Exactly. And, and, and it will go on and on and on. And at the end, oh, there's a term sheet and a, and a, and a long form and details and sign here and so on. That's all well and good. Um, sometimes we've potentially had the experience with certain uh, investors where the majority of the focus is on the term sheet, number of shares, and the details, and warranties, and so on and so forth. And while we understand and respect 
that that is something to focus on. Mm -hmm. It is quite important to sort of realize that this isn't at its core a financial transaction. This really at its core is a group of people collectively partnering up to build something new. So the something new should really be the, the really the, the focus. core focus. Yeah. And at the same time, we understand that there, there, there are details to this. So it is quite important to, to, to sort of have that focus and potentially this could, that and the amount of capital available could be the one of the reasons that uh, the UK has some catching up to do mm -hmm. to places like Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Having said this, it is actually growing quite fast and um, we're quite happy with it. And I guess uh, in, in counter to Silicon Valley, there's a lot of disenfranchised bankers and ex-insurance people who are perfect in terms of expertise to draw upon and that's potentially why we have such a strong uh, fintech market here in the UK. Would, would you both agree with that? That's open to either of you. I absolutely agree. I mean, we, we look out the window of your office here and we, we can see law firms, banks, financial institutions and tech startups just meters away from that. And I think that's a really unique um, thing that London has that makes it stand out. And um, I think it's one of the best things about working in the city. Yeah, sure. Precisely, I, I would I would echo that 100%. We on, uh, on our advisory board have a number of super senior, very smart, very, very capable folks that, that are incredibly helpful to us uh, in terms of um, advice and where to take things and how to think about uh, various aspects of the business, which has been amazingly beneficial for us. So I guess open to both of you, um, what other exciting uses of blockchain technology are you seeing right now? I know we're deep, deep, deep into the, the hype cycle of uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, et cetera. Um, cryptocurrencies, talk to me. So I would say in general, um, the way I see, I see three or four general areas. Uh, there's definitely cryptocurrencies, um, which um, Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and, and Ripple and a few others that are um, uh, taking off, showing, showing a lot of potential, and um, people are talking about them all over the place. Um, in terms of the public-private um, dichotomy that you uh, brought up earlier, um, we see an enormous potential of that breakdown, mm -hmm. where in the public domain, you have applications that are outside of the cryptocurrency area. Uh, for example, you can have um, domain name systems, which is a DNS general system that can potentially be placed on a uh, public blockchain. Uh, we can also have like prediction markets and other applications like identity management is, is one that, 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 that a lot of people are focused on. And that's actually very exciting for us because... So you're saying putting something like all your driver's license, your health records, et cetera, onto the blockchain or something along those lines? Something along those lines. So, so those are definitely areas that people are exploring, but also there are two important questions around identity management. One of them is, do I have the appropriate credentials to access some kind of application? That's an important question. And the second one is, do I, who claim to have the appropriate credentials, am I who I am, or I've basically, if I steal your credentials, I can just pose as you. Mm -hmm. So the first question is, you can enter this application if I have your uh, credentials. The second question is, am I Dylan? Uh, both of these two are actually being quite actively worked on in the context of um, 
public blockchains, which are actually very exciting uh, areas. Um, I would say the, the areas that we are most focused on is the uh, smart contracts for private um, blockchains and also network private blockchains, okay. which uh, we've talked about um, patient records, claims and insurance, uh, derivatives and um, so on and so forth, and many, many applications in government. So then if we're going on to government, what has government taken an interest in any specific uh, use cases of blockchain, or have either of you uh, seen, not just the UK government, but worldwide, any of them, say, immigration, anything like that? Certainly. So, so we have dealt with um, immigration as one area. And uh, as soon as you talk about um, health records, it's inevitable for both regulation and the government to be involved in this. Uh, so we, we are seeing those areas. Government is definitely exploring other uh, potential use cases, uh, registration of companies, um, um, and I suspect so, so. voter fraud would might even be a good use case as well, too. Certainly, mm. certainly. And obviously, at the end, there is the uh, there are the ICOs, um, initial coin offering, which in its in its simplest form, it's crowdfunding a blockchain application. So you issue these tokens that are associated with a certain application. These tokens have monetary value as well. This is the equivalent of us when we give our shareholders uh, shares. Uh, each share comes with a certain value, and that's held on a blockchain. Now, the, 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 the interesting use case for that, it could be that currently, because we're a private company, and many, many restrictions are put on the dealing with our shares as we are a private company, it does not allow anyone to sell, buy, or exchange the shares. Uh, you can potentially have that in an ICO. Yes, and I know uh, various governments uh, around the world are definitely juggling with that, uh, A, whether something's a security, and B, how do we deal with this security? Uh, that's definitely in, in, in the U.S. Here in the U.K., we see the activities uh, which dealing with the securities, who you're marketing them to. It's more around the activities of how you're dealing with the token. So there are, it's perked up government's ears, definitely. But uh, And then some governments have just outright banned them altogether, like China. Um, so we'll see where we get to in the next, next year, but it's quite exciting to have a nascent technology actually ruffling a lot of feathers worldwide. Definitely. Um, one, one, one very important application that I forgot to mention in the context of government is land ownership and land registry and the exchange of land because it goes through a lengthy process. And that is an area that um, the folks at land registry are definitely looking into uh, in, in the context of ownership of land, exchange of ownership, and uh, potentially registering long-term leases that can be quite a significant improvement in the overall uh, speed and cost of um, land ownership. And I think that's probably quite useful here in the UK and a lot of the developed world, but do you think, uh, either Hussein or Alex, um, is there a more interesting use case and a greater need in perhaps the developing world as well? I think particularly when you look in the developing world, you don't have these legacy systems, for example, the, the systems that are in the background of all of our financial institutions in the UK and in Europe as well, slowing things down to a certain extent. So if we take the example of mobile payments that have happened across Africa and how much that has exploded, I think the yeah. blockchain has absolutely huge potential to potentially get, have them leaping ahead of us. So I, I'm, I'm hugely excited about that. And where there necessarily wasn't 
a great trust network, this provides a, a supplement to that trust. So decentralization is actually quite an interesting thing for a lot of countries which are, which are slowly developing. And hopefully that's been informative on blockchain. I want to thank both my guests, uh, Hussein Kakavan, CEO of Luther Systems, and Alex Wood, founder and editor of The Memo, for sharing their insights on blockchain, the adoption, and its benefits that it's set to deliver across multiple verticals. Do look out for further podcasts from DLA Piper as we explore the influence of emerging technologies in business and wider society. The first six podcasts, two focusing on the future of fintech, plus others exploring blockchain, ICOs, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, and crowdfunding, are already available for you to download either on our website, Apple Podcast app, or SoundCloud, as well as various other apps and services for Android and other phones. Thank you from me, Dylan Kennett, Corporate Associate here at DLA Piper.